He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's <laughs> evening. This well, is you've been working. It's morning. It's morning somewhere. I don't know if I'm coming or going sometimes. You've been on uh, the air since 6 o'clock this well, morning. Well, I, I got up at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning. I was on Fox News uh, at uh, 6.30 or 6.40, and it just goes on and on. This is the 5 o'clock number one show in New York. John Katzmatidis here. And uh, this is a TriCast, broadcasting out of WABC Studios. Uh, 770 on your dial out of Midtown Manhattan. Also, WLIR in Hampton Bays and 970 AM, The Answer, in the studio with us, a common, two common-sense Democrats. We have a uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, and we have one genius in there. We have our <laughs> no, in-house genius. We have Dr. Peter Michalos. Welcome to the studios. Great to be here with the Cats at Night team. Well, thank you for coming in, and we're we're looking forward to hearing what the heck is going on in uh, in medicine and how we could live to be longer. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Sir, we have a great show for everyone today. We will be speaking with Charlie Gasparino. The Dow dropped almost 800 points. Nick Langworthy of the GOP. We'll be also talking to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, but now oh, also John Solomon. He's got some incredible breaking news for us. You don't want to miss this. And then on the, do we have him on the line yet? We're still waiting for uh, U.S. Senator well, Dan Sullivan. That's correct. So, Dr. Mikolos, tell us, you know, electric cars, they're looking more and more appealing. I paid $75 to fill up my tank. But you're saying hold off on it. Wait a minute. Tell us why. Well, we're still trying to work out a lot of kinks. As you know, there were uh, 49,000 Ford um, cars that were recalled because of the battery contact overheating and then basically losing propulsion. So you're on the highway going 70 miles an hour and suddenly you drop down to 20 miles an hour. So uh, the risk for accidents, and that's a big expense for these uh, electric car companies. So a lot of the technology hasn't exactly caught up. The other big problem is I was speaking to someone who does car repairs, and they're actually afraid of electric cars after they're brought in by an accident because if a positive wire grounds onto the body of the car or you're working on it, their workers have to go through extensive training and supervision because there's a risk of electrocution. Another thing you don't talk about is let's say someone's driving, let's say somewhere uh, in the Hamptons near Dune Road and there's a flood and there's salt water coming in from the ocean and you've got an electrical car with uh, salt water and positive and negative uh, battery posts and you're driving through it. So there's concerns when you're in a potential flash flood and you're an electric you car. You might what say, exactly I, can't say, I can't say the other word. You might say, oh, crap. And you know what the other four-letter word is. No, I was going to say, oh, shocking. But, <laughs> but, but uh, And also putting out the fires. They're finding out that these fires, not only you can't put them out with regular water, but you need special chemicals to put them out, but they also can reignite in an hour or days or even a month later. 
So there's a big issue on putting out we're these electrical fires. But the administration, we're going to continue yeah. this conversation. I understand we have Senator Sullivan from Alaska. On. Right. It goes exactly with what you're saying because the Biden administration wants us to buy those electric cars, but because we see these high gas prices, U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska. Alaska's got plenty of oil, and we just saw this uh, Fed rate hike. Is def- looks like it's going to put us into a recession. How how are you, Senator Dan Sullivan? Hey, you guys, John, Lydia, great, great to be Senator, back on the show. My I, favorite been, show. It's great to be on the program again. Thank you. I've been talking about you all day. I started six o'clock in the morning on Fox News and then at, at <laughs> 4 o'clock uh, on Fox Business. And uh, we were telling the whole world how you guys have all the oil in the world. You have a 2 million barrel uh, a day uh, uh, pipeline. And you're only shipping, what, 375, 400? Yep. We're, we're down to about, I think it's uh, close to 500, uh, John. But, you know, at one point, get this, at one point the Alaska pipeline was supplying 2.2 million barrels a day for our thirsty nation. Think about that. That's bigger than any Saudi pipeline, right? That is massive and, American and we, energy. And, and, and we, we still it. have billions of we still have billions of barrels of oil, conventional oil in Alaska and trillions and trillions of cubic feet of natural gas. This is American energy produced by American workers for the American people and Joe Biden and John Kerry got their boot on our neck in Alaska. It's not just hurting my constituents. It's hurting the whole damn country. And the alternative to that is to raise interest rates and that's going to wipe out the rest of the country. Well, I just think with regard to what's happening in terms of inflation, you know, the middle class working class of America is getting crushed and they are getting crushed in a Huge driver of this spike in inflation, 40-year high, has been their disastrous war on American energy. As you know, John, as we've talked about before, when from day one, the Biden administration, the president, by the way, there's this great clip of all the promises Biden made when he was a candidate. It's all about, I'm going to stop energy, I'm going to kill fracking, I'm going to make sure no more oil and gas. I mean, the guy said it like 50 times. It's the one thing he's actually kept his word on. Day one, shutting down Anwar. Day one, shutting down Keystone. Day one, going to Wall Street saying, don't invest in American energy. And now what are they doing? They're literally going hat in hand, begging dictators, the terrorists in Iran, uh, the dictators in Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, for oil. We can produce oil right here in the good old United States of America, especially in my state. You're uh, absolutely right. And, and in the studio here with us last week was the, the premier of Saskatchewan. You got it. And uh, a couple of weeks before that, the, uh, the people from Alberta, Canada, and they got uh, a zillion barrels of oil that they want to ship to the United States. But Why are we putting... Why are we putting the United States and and Canada in handcuffs and making the rest of the world rich? The White House just said a short time ago, by the way, Senator Sullivan and John Katzmatidis, that we don't need to drill more. That's not the solution here to lower energy prices. They literally just said that. What do you what's your reaction? Well, look, we had uh, John. First of all, when I was on your show last, we talked a lot about your to exactly your point. It's not just. American energy. It's North American energy. Yep. We, we have this great relationship with Canada, by the way, back and forth in terms of energy flows 
and electricity flows. It's the most powerful energy block in the world if our own federal government would unleash it. But I will tell you this with regard to what they're talking about drilling. I had the Secretary of Energy in front of the Armed Services Committee about three weeks ago. She looked at the members, said, we're doing everything we can to increase energy production, oil and gas. She said that. And I, I said, Madam, Madam Secretary, with all due respect, that is just fundamentally not true. Let me give you three examples in the last three weeks. And they were the Biden administration came out and said the National Petroleum Reserve of Alaska, that's bi as big as Indiana, it's not even controversial, set aside over 70 years ago for oil and gas development, the most prolific reservoir probably in the world. When people explore there, they find billion barrel fields. They came out and said, we're going to take half of that off the table for exploration. That was number one. Then number two, again, about uh, five weeks ago now, they canceled what's called the Cook Inlet lease sale. Cook Inlet is another big oil and gas basin in Alaska. The feds have a lease sale there. They canceled it with no warning. They said, nope, we're not going to do any leases. And then number three, you may have seen, and I think John Kerry is the culprit behind this, the White House put out new NEPA rules, you know, new rules for the uh, 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 abiding by the ability to build infrastructure, particularly energy infrastructure. And everybody saw the rules and said, well, these are clearly meant to delay the building of energy infrastructure. Those were three things in three weeks that this administration just recently did. I pressed the Secretary of Energy on it, and to be honest, she didn't have a clue. I mean, this is really, really pathetic. And uh, it's really hurting our citizens. Senator, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. How are you? Hey, Richard. How are you, Judge? Good. I want to ask you this question. You just introduced legislation last month. It's called the Investor Democracy uh, Bill. And it has to do with the passive investing being controlled by these big index funds and how they're voting. And they're voting woke and they're voting left-wing policies. Could you explain that, please? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we had a hearing on my bill in front of the banking committee this week, and a lot of really strong Republican senators, Senator Toomey, uh, Senator Crapo, really good group, our co-sponsors. I've tried to get some Dems. Believe me, some of them are actually interested. And it goes to your uh, point, Richard, when you look at, just for example, the three biggest passive investor funds that manage these index funds. That's State Street, Vanguard, and BlackRock. Here's the numbers. The numbers are unbelievable. They manage over $20 trillion in assets. They are the majority shareholder in over 90% of the S&P 500. In last year, cast approximately 25% of all votes in public company shareholder meetings. That is massive power. And they use that power, as you say, in many ways to drive far-left policies through corporate governance that they can't get done in the political system here in Washington, D.C. And so my bill says, wait a minute, these these massive firms, they're actually not even the beneficial owner of the shares. 
They don't really own the shares. It's a quirk in the law that gives them the right to vote. Let's give the power to vote these shares back to the beneficial owners, not the index fund managers. And this is getting a lot of attention because people are seeing that this massive market distortion and power that they have is now being used to drive a far-left political agenda that they have no expertise in, and they shouldn't be voting these shares. So it's public I'm policy. That my, I'm, I'm confident that my bill is going to pass here soon, particularly if the Republicans take control of the House and Senate in November. It's public policy driven without real representation. Absolutely. Who made the, the CEOs of these companies king? Now, look, I always say, hey, in some ways, this is a matter of their success. A lot of people like these index funds. It gives you market diversification. It's very low fees. So in many ways, that's a positive thing. But they should not be able to vote these shares as if they own them. And especially, they shouldn't be able to vote these shares in a way that drives corporate governance far to the left, and they say, well, that's what the shareholders want. Baloney. 65% of Americans want to produce more American energy. That's a recent poll. These companies are telling the American energy companies, don't um, invest in American energy. And I'll tell you, uh, Richard, the way that I got involved with this, there have been so many Wall Street financial institutions, banks, insurance companies, who have made these great declarations that they're, quote, no, gonna, no longer going to invest in America's Arctic in terms of energy projects. Well, those are my constituents. <laughs> Wait, why are you blackballing Alaska yes, in terms I mean, of Arctic crazy. energy? And, and, and when, one of the major when, banks I, I had lunch at uh, last week on, on Friday uh, started, uh, put an executive vice president on, ready, to make sure they, they lend less money to to uh, fossil fuel companies. Yeah, I mean, I mean you I know, mean, I mean, this John, is, it's crazy. You, know, you know, this is an attack on America in many directions. Well, look, the one thing that I've said, to, and I've, trust me, I've met with all these CEOs and I have very frank discussions with them, but I say, look, why are you guys blackballing my state, my workers? Alaska's been producing American energy with great American energy workers for decades, and it's what the country needs. You now announce your black ball in Alaska, but you have no problem propping up the Chinese Communist Party with all your investments in China? Like, whose crazy, side are you crazy. guys on, man? I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Sandra Sullivan, we'll catch up again real soon, but thank you for speaking out and keep speaking out and yelling out and let the Americans know that we have to make a difference this November. Because if we don't make a difference this November, I'm worried about our country. Thank you, John. You, uh, it's the same to you. I love being on the program, and keep up the great work, all of you. It's uh, really great that you're highlighting these critical issues that, by the way, I think 95% of Americans, with the exception of John Kerry and Gina McCarthy, agree with. So I agree. Uh, we're going to win. God bless America. Oh, thank you so much. Now on the line for us is Charlie Gasparino, the market down 800. It's a, it's a mess out there, inflation out of control. Charlie Gasparino, what is the latest? Is there any hope for us at this point? Um, you know, we could do this slow or we can do it fast. And I think what the markets are saying is that um, we have an inflation problem. Um, it's going to be a slow – listen, the markets are going to correct either way, right? Jerome Powell raises interest rates by two percentage points, not 75 basis points. 
two percentage points, the markets are going to collapse. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, this is a long time coming. Asset prices have to normalize. You can't have dog coin or whatever it's called, Dogecoin. What, what's going on with Bitcoin? It's down to an all-time low uh, lately. Right. I mean, you can, all these cryptos, I mean, they had no real inherent value. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that in a moment. But, uh, you know, so bubbles created by liquidity that the Fed pumped in the market. When the Fed stops pumping liquidity, the bubbles will, will burst. You know, the real question is, is it a long, slow death by a thousand cuts like the NASDAQ bubble that burst uh, beginning in March 2000? It lasted like three or four years, by the way, before the NASDAQ hit rock bottom. Uh, is it something like that, or is it going to be something that's quick and dirty and nasty, but we get through it fast? And it looks like what Jerome Powell is doing is that he's going to do it slow. And um, I, I would rather, you know, I would rather the whole thing just puke out. That's what they call it—a puke. Believe it or not. But the thirty-year the, the, the mortgage is over six percent. It's going right. to—it's going to collapse the real estate market. What good is that? Well, it's going to—it's going to collapse. Well, because the real estate market is overvalued. I mean, listen, I'm hanging out in South Carolina right now. Uh, houses, nice houses. It's beautiful down here. Don't get me wrong. That went sold four years ago for five hundred grand are going for a million now. That's it's like irrational exuberance. I mean, this is a an economy that's you know not built on manufacturing or or tech in any way. It's it's purely consumer and and um, and and uh, you know, restaurant services and of course tourism. That is not a the tooling of this economy should not be that way. Plus, are you saying that that, uh, that President Biden is going to break the rest of the American people he hasn't broken yet? It's well. It's either either he's going to do it or the markets are going to do it. Because what happens is, if the Fed doesn't step in and, and take take this, the markets will continue to trade off. You know, bond prices will go up and down and up. You might get like my pretty significant spikes in the thirty year bond. So that's the way stuff self corrects. And the only thing I would say is, it could either be that we could either do it fast or slow. I rather them do it fast. I would rather Jerome Powell just call an emergency meeting tomorrow and raise interest rates another uh, one point and watch the stock market go down 5,000. Charlie, it's, it's Richard bottom. It's Richard Weinberg. I don't think it's going to do it quickly because they have an election coming up and then they refuse to do it. Right, so then be ready for death by a 1,000 cuts. I don't think it's going to matter much in terms of the election. Uh, in some ways, the sort of the drip, drip, drip is worse than the long, than, than the quick thing. You know, I mean, Obama... What happened with Obama now, it's different circumstances. During the financial crisis, you had like kind of a, a big implosion, a puke in early two, in 2009 before the Fed stepped in with QE and, and liquidity and, and really pumped up the markets again. And that, in many ways, is much more preferable than, than this. And uh, But listen, we're going to correct. It's, you know, you just might as well, you know, you know position your, your portfolio for that. There's ways of doing it. Talk to your financial advisor. Don't freak out. Um, but this is coming down. And houses that went for 500, are going for a million, are not going to go for a million, you know, in, in, in many parts of the country. Um, you know, Florida is a little insulated only because it's such a tax haven that I can see people still going down there, buying homes just to get out of the state income tax. I mean, something like Texas. I, I agree place. with you. What about the mortgage rates? They We haven't seen rates this high in what? Uh, what, what did I read? And since 2008? I mean, the, yeah, the, the housing market has been decimated it's going to go higher yeah it's not decimated yet um prices are still not still pretty high uh it will come down and i i, I think it should come down i mean listen i i 
I mean, I just didn't. I couldn't understand half of the stuff in crypto. Not that, and I'm not an anti-crypto guy. I like the blockchain is interesting. I, you know, I, I get the notion of, of a digital coin that has some inherent value that they're taking away from the dollar because they print so much of it. But when you have something like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all these other things that have, you know, they're they're attached to platforms that are not mainstream being used in the mainstream. I, you know, I asked a friend of mine down here in South Carolina. I said, hey, well, when was the last time you sold a house on the blockchain? He said, never. We won't. We won't do it. And so, if if it's not accepted that widely, then why is Bitcoin trading at twenty thousand? Uh, remember, when even when the internet crashed in uh, two thousand, we were still on the internet. We were still using Google. We were still using Apple. We were still using Amazon, maybe, and, and Amazon to buy more things, not just books. So remember, the, the Internet was still a very powerful force in our lives. The, the Internet is, is – the, the blockchain is, is not a powerful force in our life right now. What is a big thing in our life is everybody speculating with these you know, tulips known as digital coins. And that has that is part of the mania here, and you only get that when you print money like they've been doing and keep interest rates as low as they've been. So, I think you know, you know, in order to get rid of the bubble, the speculation, the inflation that's obviously popped pumped into the economy, uh, when you're a crypto bro worth a billion dollars, you know, housing prices in, in Miami do, do go up as they've been. Are there any crypto guys jumping out of windows yet? You know, it's funny. I hope not. And it's funny you mention that because a couple of weeks ago I did a story where I actually called the suicide hotline and asked about that. And that does happen. I mean, I it's sad. They shouldn't do it. You know, things come back. Obviously, life's you know, you know, it's not worth it. I would say, but you know, that stuff does happen. I remember it happening during the financial crisis. I remember it happening to people around Madoff. Um, obviously, Madoff. One of Madoff's sons killed himself. I mean. It, 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 that does happen, and I don't think that's that's not an unreasonable question or, or worry that people might do stuff like that. Well, thank you so much, Charlie Gasparino. What part of South Carolina are you in? I'm in Charleston, right yep. outside. Love Charleston. Beautiful. Be- you- beautiful. Great food, great everything. Yes. Uh, thank you so it's much. Hot. It's hot. It's am- I, I lived in South Carolina for a couple of years. Thank you, sir. Well, I understand the control room wants to take a break, and we're going to come back with Dr. Michalos to talk about cars uh, when we uh, electric cars, when we come back, let's take that break then. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. While Charlie Gasparino's laying out on the, in the sun, we're here in gloomy New York City. But you know what? It's always sunshine in here, especially when we have Governor Patterson, Judge Weinberg, of course, John, and our resident medical genius. What a treat. Dr. Mikolos, you're here in studio with us, and we wanted to continue that conversation about rumor. electric cars. I hear a rumor he's going to the Yankee game today. Absolutely. Very excited to be going to a Yankees game tonight, and uh, it's an amazing New York team, and uh, we uh, look forward to it, and uh, hopefully they win again and again. But are you taking an electric car there? <laughs> no, I'm not going to be taking an electric car because I have concerns. Again, when uh, 5,000 electric cars one day on I-95 are looking for a charging station, guess what? G- good luck. So our infrastructure really can't handle charging all these electric cars. Right now in California, they have rolling brownouts just with the air conditioning systems. Imagine when everyone's trying to seek out and charge their electric cars. The other issue we've talked about is when there's a car accident – the rescue workers are at risk. There's been uh, rescue workers that have been electrocuted with the jaws of life because when the positive wire, remember, this is very high amperage electricity. 
It can shock you, and it can actually kill you. So when you're rescuing someone, electric car, they, they, these cars need to be labeled. And I think the state of Rhode Island actually has a marker on all the license plates to designate whether they're electric because a rescuer is not going to approach a conventional vehicle versus an electric or hybrid vehicle in a different way because to put out a lithium fire, it's very different. A lithium battery fire puts out hydrogen cyanide gas and carbon monoxide. Hydrogen cyanide gas is highly toxic. The other thing we don't talk about is the carbon footprint. From start to finish, it takes more carbon to build an electric car. We still don't have a proper method to dispose of these batteries, and nobody talks about when you're buying the electric car that you need five to $7,500 just to replace a battery. So that's another thing nobody talks about. Nobody talks about actually Forbes magazine did a great piece and followed it all the way back to the Congo and child slave labor to gather up the lithium, the neodymium needed to make the uh, electrical motors and all these components. So basically you see an electric car, you don't see the tailpipe, but down the block or down the road, you you have energy being ex- expended. And one of the things is it's actually that the it's there's also a socioeconomic thing and there's also a concern how you're polluting areas that tend to be socioeconomically poorer versus uh, areas that are wealthier areas that may be using electric cars more right now in Doctor, certain countries. What about well, me as a driver sitting in that car day after day? Well, what impact is that? By the way, I just want everybody to know that he's not reading from anything. This is all from the top of his head that he's he, he's so he's so brilliant as he's giving us all this amazing <laughs> information. To watch it happen in real time is is pretty incredible. So <laughs> I'm in the car driving the car. What impact does that have with me day in and day out? Well, those are the questions that we don't know. Just like when radiation first came out for x-rays, they were using it for acne. When UVC radiation was approved in the Nobel Prize in 1903, they used it for skin infections. They used to use it to clean your blood before antibiotics. That's how you treated sepsis. Now we have this electromagnetic field technology, basically, and a Faraday cage is a metal box that protects outside energy from coming in. Electric car is a box, and you're sitting in the box. You've got four electric motors, a battery, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and it's all circulating inside, bouncing around. So we don't know what the long-term effects are, but I did buy a meter once, put it inside the car, and held it while they were charging the electric battery, and people were the meter was going off the charts. So I'm concerned. I wouldn't want my child or a pet in the car, period. I wouldn't want it either. It's like living in the old days when I was buying land in Alpine, New Jersey. They said it was like living underneath the Alpine antenna, that uh, somebody's going to get cancer in the next uh, 10 years or 20 years. It's our new generation radon, in my opinion, and there needs to be more research, and that's what I'm asking for, more research. Well, we'll continue with Dr. Michalos, but I understand we have a call coming in. Right. We have Nick Langworthy on the line. He served as the chairman of the GOP. How are you, sir? You're still the chairman. I'm doing doing great. It's great to be back with you. And you're running for the 23rd Congressional District? Also a candidate for Congress. Uh, Didn't didn't expect this path, but here we are, and and we're going to keep this seat red and and keep it uh, uh, out of harm's way. What do you think about the prospects of Republicans? Uh, maybe a poss- I mean, we did see a red wave in what Suffolk County and parts of Long Island. Do you think it's possible we could see a bigger red wave across the Empire State? I think we're going to have a, a red tsunami across the country, uh, and it's definitely going to hit here in New York. We saw a preview of it last fall. Uh, the victories for district attorneys' offices, county executives' offices, Nassau and Suffolk County. That was a, 
a huge canary in the coal mine to the Democrats that they were absolutely on the wrong side of law and order uh, as they've been coddling criminals way too much. Uh, but you just even see uh, this last week where a, uh, a seat that had been in Democratic hands for many years. Now, you know, we have a Latina Republican Congresswoman, Maya Flores, that was elected just two nights ago. Uh, that was one that people, you know, did not see coming. And we have uh, growth uh, all over the country. And it's uh, the House of Representatives is going to flip and be in Republican hands. Well, uh, now you have one of your deputies running the state. Oh, how is the rest of the state running on for the Republican Party? Well, I'm, I'm here in New York uh, City today uh, doing my duties as state chairman, but uh, we have a very short primary. Uh, this, uh, the seat I'm running for is the, the absolute most Republican district in New York State. I happen to be running against Carl Palladino in a primary. Um, and, you know, the, the important thing is that we put, you know, a drama-free candidacy forward that's going to help our ticket in the fall that's not going to serve it as, a, as a distraction. And I think that's the candidacy that I offer here. Um, but we are all systems go. Our, you know, we are just 12 days away from a statewide primary. Uh, we'll have our Governor Patterson, nominees. you know a lot about drama-free campaigns. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, Mr. Langworthy, I, I didn't know Carl Palladino was still around. <laughs> that he is. Uh, he is you know, a character. I didn't think he'd be Apparently running for a... office again, mm-hmm. but he, he is. <laughs> well, uh, I kind of think that uh, you're going to win. <laughs> uh, and, and Governor Patterson, while we're here, you used to be the DNC, the, the Democratic chairman of New York State. How's the Democratic Party doing? Well, I think that um, I have to give credit to uh, Mr. Langworthy. He's pointing out that the party is behind where the public is right now. The public, even people with progressive points of view, uh, when they walk out of their homes, they're just as susceptible to crime as everyone else. But very few elected officials are reacting to it. At least Mayor Adams is talking about it, because really how you lower crime is not something that one office holder can do. It really has to do with bringing back the same kind of uh, lower unemployment rates, fewer people walking around the streets with nothing to do, and um, taking not just the guns off the street, but taking the uh, people who have committed more than two or three offenses off the street and taking them off the street for a long time. I don't know that everybody is agreeing with that, and those who don't may be paying a price in a few months. I mean, did you see what happened in uh, El Monte, California? It's just outside of... Uh, Los Angeles, two young police officers lost their lives to a career criminal who was out on probation for possessing an illegal gun because of Gascon's very liberal policies, similar to what we have here in New York. Before Gascon came in, that guy, he would have been in jail for at least three years. Instead, he was out. He was trying to kill his wife. Police tried to come to her rescue, and then he killed them both in a, in a gunfight. I mean, and, it's horrific. And there is a perception, and I'd love to hear what Judge Weinberg feels about this that Democrats don't care about this. I think many of us do, and we've got to speak louder uh, before we take it. It could be a beating like the one in 2010. Well, Governor, I have to say, you you and I are the House Democrats on this show, but our party has run away from us. It's gone so far left, so pro-criminal, so anti-law and order, that a price has to be paid. We have to go back to the center, and we have to protect the public. That's the first obligation of government. There's one issue this November 
Will you make New York City, New York State safe again so our 66 million tourists will come back? Otherwise, we're in deep crap. Also, John, people are fleeing the state. We've had over 300,000 people yeah. who fled the state. People are voting uh, with their feet. I understand we've got some breaking news coming in from John Solomon. Nick Langworthy, good luck in that congressional race. We'll have you on again. When is your primary? August 23rd. Oh, wow, that's a long way away. And 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 uh, give us, uh, who's running, are you running the state at the same time? Absolutely. I, I, I haven't left the job. I'm a hell of a multitasker. Thank you so much, Nick Langworthy, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. We got to go to breaking news. WABC. And on the line with us right now is investigative reporter extraordinaire John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, I was reading your website. I saw that memo just two weeks before the Capitol riot. Capitol Police were made aware that there could be a bloody uprising and again it was ignored can you tell us what what happened what did you undercover yeah absolutely it's such an important story there is it's becoming increasingly clear that the capitol police and possibly uh, the people around nancy pelosi and chuck schumer we got to wait a little bit more to do some more reporting but certainly the capitol police had significant two plus week forewarning that there was going to be significant violence at the capitol unlike most protests that occur there uh, this comes in from the Homeland Security Department and the District of Columbia's Intelligence Division on December 21st, January 6th. Just to put that in perspective, that's 16 days before the um, riots occurred on January 6, 2021. It is a very specific and detailed warning. Uh, what happened was uh, Homeland Security Intelligence assets got inside of a chat room, a blog, a uh, closed blog, where a lot of the bad guys that would eventually show up on the uh, January 6th, people like the Oath Keepers and the, the Proud Boys, they were having profound discussions in mid-December about their plans. They were talking about having a, quote, bloody war, that they were going to burn down the Supreme Court, that they were going to bring guns concealed under their jackets to maybe shoot or harm members of Congress. In fact, there's a specific instruction. Uh, if you engage the police, get them to shoot first and then shoot back. Very, very extraordinary, detailed information. They talked about bringing nerve gas. They talked about casing the tunnels around the Capitol. It was eminently clear on December 21st and 20, uh, 22nd of 2020, 16, 15 days before the riot, to the Capitol Police that there was likely to be widespread violence on January 6th. And despite that, they never made any preparations. Most of the officers and riot patrol teams and commanders Walked to their job, walked into their job on January 6th, unaware that their leadership had detailed warnings of violence. And that really gets to this issue, which is this may have been a preventable event. That's what we're hearing from a lot John, of experts now who've looked at our documents. And John these are Solomon, documents from the Capitol Police. John Solomon, you're a smart guy. You've been an investigative reporter forever. What do you smell here? Are, are the Democrats stupid? I mean, it's two choices. Either they're stupid or it's a setup. I, I, you know, tell me how you're looking at it. Yeah, listen, I did all most of the reporting after 9-11, right after uh, Condi Rice got up on the podium and said no one in the American government envisioned terrorists taking planes and crashing them into buildings. I didn't believe that statement. And I spent the next two years doing the reporting that showed that the CIA, the FBI, the NSA all had the elements of the plot, the 
the pilots in Arizona, uh, the uh, all of the warnings, the meetings in the Kuala Lumpur where the planning was going, they had the whole plot in front of them and they didn't put the pieces together because of bureaucracy, um, uh, uh, egos and other things. I think we're going to find out that um, January 6th is a mini 9-11, that the Capitol Police and uh, rivalries even inside the Capitol Police, deputy chiefs who didn't like other deputy chiefs, people who didn't like the existing chief, they made conscious decisions not to share this in a way that would have had the whole department on alert. And you know, one of the best signs, we talked about this last time I was on the show, we now know the riot uh, police, the, what are known as the civil disturbance units, the experts who know how to put down and slow down a riot before it escalates out of control, like what happened on January 6th. Half of their units weren't even active that day. They were doing other work. They were assigned to desk work and other things. The other half didn't even have their gear ready. It was sitting in a bus and no one could find the key. That's how ill-prepared the police department was, despite the fact that on December 21st, you see these dramatic warnings. I fear bureaucratic bungling and maybe some rivalries inside the police department may explain what happened here. We're going we're gonna to wrestle to the ground. We're going to get answers. We're not quite there. But one thing we know for sure now, two, two weeks and two days before the attack, there was clear, overwhelming intelligence pointing to the, the American people. The American people, all they want is the truth. They, I yeah. think the American people are getting tired of being lied to. Can I ask you guys a question? I want to ask John Solomon and you, John Katzmatidis. What is the point of the hearings? I caught a little bit of it. I don't understand. People can't afford to pay their bills, gas prices, electricity. Everything is out of control. What is the purpose of these hearings? Is that a stupid question? Because I, I don't understand. It's theater of the mind. I've heard that someplace. Mm-hmm. And they're creating theater to accomplish something. I'm, what say you, John Solomon? Well, listen, it's pretty clear. Uh, Jamie uh, Raskin said uh, 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 a month or two ago, these hearings are about making sure Donald Trump doesn't become president in 2024. That's what he said on television. Um, I think that that's what this is. It's the same Democratic show that started with Russia collusion, went to Ukraine impeachment, now January 6th, and a few uh, scandals in between that turned out not to be scandals. I think this is a political exercise. Now, January 6th was a moment of such horrible images and, and, and violence. It should be a bipartisan moment to figure out how do we protect the United States Capitol from a further attack. None of that is in the conversation of the pit of the House that you're seeing right now. None and of that what, conversation. One more thing. The, yeah. the, the, the Democratic base, the Asian community, the Hispanic community, the black community are finding out that they're being lied to. And I understand if you look at some of the polls in the Latino community, it is swinging. Because of the Democratic Party being non-religious, they hate religion, they hate other things, and, 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 and the Spanish families, the Mexican families are religious people, and they're hardworking people. And you saw that election uh, uh, a few days ago in, uh, in Texas. In Texas? Right, that was historic. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no doubt. Uh, first time a Republican won a district in the um the real 150 era. years 1870 it's amazing it was right after the civil war was the last time that ought to be a warning sign that the democrats are talking about the wrong things but they're doubling down they're tripling down perhaps to their own peril listen i've said this in many places donald trump is living rent free in the democrats heads he and they're so obsessed with him they're missing their obligation to address what the american people want most gas prices yeah. food prices they're, they're going to blow this for a long time to come 
John Solomon, one other question. What about Trump? I know he tweeted something earlier today that he wants equal time. I agree because this theater that we're seeing play out on everybody's TV screens, he's not getting his chance to defend himself. It's a completely one-sided show here. Yeah, very important thing. He's trying to use what's known as the Fairness Doctrine, the Equal Time Doctrine of the Federal Communications Commission. Now that Jamie Raskin said it, that, hey, our goal is really to stop him from running and being president again in 2024, uh, he, he, the president, smartly, is saying, hey, I want equal time. They declare this as a political exercise. I get as much time as you're giving them to give my side of the story, the capital security failures, the election irregularities we have confirmed uh, pretty savvy move. It'll be interesting to see if he actually files a petition with the Federal Communications Commission. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter extraordinaire, justthenews.com. That's justthenews.com. Thank you, John Solomon. My pleasure, guys. Have a good day. Welcome back to the John Katz Matiti Show. Katz at night now on the line for us. Always a, a treat when he's on with us. A former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who also was a former CIA director, also graduated the top of his class at West Point. So like John would say, he's one smart guy, right? And the Secretary of State. And yeah, absolutely. Secretary of State Pompeo. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. It's good to be back with you all this evening. Well, we're, we have a lot of problems in the world, uh, Mr. Secretary. Where would you like to start? Oh, my goodness. Uh, where to begin? Uh, you know, I always, John, when I'm with you, I always start with the biggest problem, uh, which is making sure we teach our kids the right things in school. Uh, we, 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 uh, we saw the heat uh, a year ago where we, we watched school boards being overturned. That is important work. We have to make sure we get that right. The Chinese Communist Party is watching. They're trying to undermine what's taking place here at the United States. And if we don't teach our kids that this is the greatest nation in the history of civilization and we don't teach them the reality of American history and that there are, there are just two genders. If we if we walk away from these things that we know to be true, then all the things I worked on for four years as Secretary of State, CIA Director, uh, those will all be bygone because we'll undermine our republic from inside. I, I think you're 100% right. There's an attack on our, uh, our borders. There's an attack on our legal system. There's an attack on our way of life. Uh, well, what did the Chinese call it, San Zhu or something? <laughs> yes, this is the art of war. How did the feature is convince the other guy to take himself out? <laughs> yeah. How did the feature your enemy doesn't even know you're, you're, uh, that he's losing the war? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Where else do we go? I mean, is the Pacific, I mean, they're making so much noise, and it's, the newspapers are not carrying it anymore. You know, they took over the Solomon Islands, it looks like. Uh, Taiwan is uh, uh, is being threatened every day. Uh, what say you? So our Secretary of Defense, the American Secretary of Defense, was in that region this past week, and he said some things that I'm sure that the Chinese Communist Party actually appreciated. Uh, he said, well, we're, we're not going to – we don't seek confrontation. Uh, we don't seek to create, a, uh, he said, a NATO-like force. I don't know why this administration continues to talk about the things that we will not do to protect America. They did it in Russia. They said, we're not going to do it. And it's, it's not that you have to agree to do them. It's just, why do you focus on the limitations? You tell the bad guys, uh, these are the things that I'm, I'm not prepared to do. And that tells the, that tells them here are the things that they can do without any risk at all. It's the deterrence that caused the, the collapse in Afghanistan, the failure of that deterrence that caused the collapse in Afghanistan. It's why, 
Vladimir Putin thought he had a green light in Russia, and it's why, to your point, all this noise around Taiwan and Southeast Asia continues. I think they, uh, the bad guys, John, believe that the president of the United States of America is not prepared to do the hard work of securing freedom and making sure that we're prosperous here at home. And Secretary of State, there was a poll that just came out that uh, so many Republicans as well as Democrats don't believe that the United States will be a democracy in a couple of years. I feel like Americans have even lost faith in this great country and the foundation that it was built on. I mean, how do we bring it back to to its glory and its greatness and and have people have faith again that America is the land of the free, the home of the brave and the greatest country in the world? My goodness, I have not seen that poll. Um, but I understand why Americans feel uh, threatened today, feel discouraged. They they see things happening in uh, political leadership, and the, they see our military becoming woke. They see all of those things. What it takes is uh, people from a broad spectrum, leaders who come forward. I'm not just talking about presidents and senators and congressmen. I'm talking about faith leaders and conservative voices in the media and, and teachers and school boards we all have to defend the things that we know to be true. Don't let them gaslight you. Don't let them tell you falsehood. Defend the things we know. President Reagan understood this better than maybe maybe any president. Um, we had it right for four years, too. This is a great nation. The, the, the core ideas that our founders put in front of us, the ideas that we all have the capacity to speak our mind and practice our faith and parents are in charge of their children, not teachers – those are things that the American people understand, and we need leaders to stand up and defend them. When we do, I am confident that that polling data will change. They will come to have confidence in the American institutions that have been so central. The family, uh, the local community institutions have been so central <clears throat> to this great country, and we'll get this thing back. I, I believe that with all my heart. I'm confident we'll get it right. It's going to take a lot of good leadership and a lot of work to rebuild from what's going on in the White House these days. Mr. Secretary, it's, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I was very troubled by another poll, I don't know if you saw it, that said, were they looking at Democrats, Republicans, or independents, a large percentage, over 40 percent in each of those categories, believe that we're headed towards a civil war in this country. Would you comment on that? Yeah, I've seen some of that data, too. Uh, I think the the data itself, you've got to look at more closely. I don't believe for a second we're headed for what when people talk about civil war they think of 1865 and appomattox and the bloodshed uh, around uh, america I, I don't i don't believe that i do believe that we have two competing ideas about america one understands the greatness of our country the other runs around the world apologizing for it. one defends individual freedom and liberty and the other wants to uh, centralize government bureaucracy and wants to treat uh, tribes as independent of individuality. Those are two very different visions. And so if you mean, are we about to have a long conversation, a serious conversation about the direction of America? I think the two polls that you each identified highlight that. These are competing visions for the United States of America. I pray that we will get this right. I am confident that we will. The American people are smart and capable, and they will parse through all the noise that the left is throwing at them. And uh, we we will win this thing. We will win this thing uh, competing for the support of the American people who just want to raise their families, live their lives, practice their faith, keep their weapons. All all of the things that we know to be central to our nation, I believe those ideas will prevail. You know, uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first American saint, she had a famous quote, disorder in the society is the result of disorder in the family. And I feel like that is 
the core issue that we're seeing across America. I know, Governor Patterson, you also had a question for the secretary. Well, um, Mr. Secretary, I was thinking about what you said about what you tell your enemy when you're a leader. And I thought back to an interview that was done with Richard Nixon. It had to be 10 or 12 years after he left office. He said he always thought that he wanted the other leaders who were not friends of ours to think that he was a little out of his mind, like he might do anything, <laughs> and that it worked. Well, you're talking about Ronald Reagan, too, with the laser beams. <laughs> yes. And, and, was it and, lasers or phases? Right. And, and, and you, you don't ever want anyone who you think can do you harm to know that there is a place where that you won't go to protect yourself. Uh, Governor Pattis, it's good to uh, to be with you again. Now, that's precisely right. You want to explain to them the things that matter to you, the things that you're prepared to uh, deliver against, that you that you are willing to put some political capital, military risk, diplomatic power against. You want to make clear the things you intend to do, and then you want to leave open-ended what the, what the risk to that adversary is. There's nothing they like better than, than hearing a president of the United States saying, we're going to leave Afghanistan on August 13th. Uh, that that is at that, those kinds of delineations create, and at 5:30 p.m. Those 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 kinds of delineations uh, tell the bad guys precisely where they can move, and that that goes not only for your adversaries, but that your friends want to know um, that you're prepared to continue to do the things that need to be done. And when you cap that publicly, when you say, "Here's things we're not prepared to do," you create an enormous amount of risk. Dr. Mihalos, a question for uh, Secretary Pompeo. One of the concerns I have is that are we able to operate in a remotely geographic isolated area like the South China Sea with the presence of hypersonic missiles and these anti-ship uh, missile technologies? And uh, what do you think about uh, the laser weapons that are being developed against satellites? Goodness gracious, those are long answers. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, but, but very important questions. Uh, I'll start with the top line. We have to make sure that we have the most fearsome kick-butt military anywhere in the world. Uh, that is an imperative for the American people, and I, I'm proud of what uh, I did and what our team did for four years uh, to continue to build that second. The South China Sea is a tough place. It's a long way from home. It's pretty remote from where we are, uh, but we do have the capacity to operate there today. But whether it's whether it's a cyber risk or you, you talked about advanced systems, whether that's hypersonic or laser capabilities that lots of nations are working their way through. Uh, they just mean that we have to continue to make sure that American technology isn't stolen by the Chinese Communist Party and used for their benefit. And second, that our military is focused on its mission. Its mission is not to be uh, training every day and always on diversity, equity and inclusion. Its mission is to make sure it's prepared to fight that next conflict. And the South China Sea and South China Sea and the Chinese Communist Party are central to that capacity. Secretary Pompeo, thank you for everything you've done for our country and, thank continue, you all. Bless and you. continue to speak out for our country. And, and Dr. Michalos, thank you for being here today. Governor Patterson, Judge Weinberg, Lydia Serrani. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America.